Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rutterford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk about all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It really helps others to find it too. If you have any questions or feedback, please email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. I also just wanted to let you know that I am now on Patreon with my library of hip-friendly Pilates and mobility classes, my Stand Stronger program, and lots more useful hip-friendly tools. If you want to have a look at this, check this out at patreon.com forward slash help for hip dysplasia, or you can find it in the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We have with us a returning guest. We've got with us Laura Ricci, a doctor of physiotherapy from Texas. So you may recognize this name from Thankful Thursdays when we did our interviews, chatting to a few people about the people that they are super thankful for that have supported them along their journey. So really, really happy to welcome back Laura. Hi. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so cool to be able to chat to you again in a little bit more detail. So the last time we talked for Thankful Thursday, we had a very, very short window of time to be able to sort of get it in for what we needed for the Hip Disclosure Awareness Week. But so, so excited to just delve a little bit deeper into your story, hear a little bit more about your journey and some of the other experiences that you've had with work and what you're doing now with your um, oils as well. So yeah, that's... Let's dive straight in. So you gave us a bit of a recap in Thankful Thursdays, but yeah, would you mind just starting back at the beginning for anyone who hasn't heard that interview to just give us a bit of information on your hip dysplasia journey? Sure. I really feel like the hip dysplasia journey started, for me, the first symptom was popping and clicking and clunking in childhood, but it didn't limit me. I was very functional and could move around and was in marching band in high school. And it wasn't until college that I was taking a kinesio course as part of my physical therapy requirements. And we had to do running sprints and long distance running. And when I was running for longer distances, I noticed that my hips would just ache for a full week after going for a run. And I thought that was odd. And I don't know if any other hippies out there experienced this, but I could not wear high heeled shoes high heels or really tall shoes would just really make my hips ache and my low back ache. So I just kind of threw those out and decided that I would do things other than running for a period of time. And then what I noticed that started developing later was some pelvic pain issues, pain with pelvic exams and pain with intercourse and things that kind of popped up that I noticed when I got married, as well as a little bit of left SI pain, sacroiliac joint pain. And that kind of progressed over the years to where then I started having hip pain all the time with walking, sitting, standing for long periods of time. I was constantly having to move around. It was affecting my activities of daily life. And I thought, okay, let's, let's look into this (laughs) a little bit more. This is becoming more pronounced. And I had been on an extensive pelvic pain journey and seen a pelvic floor physical therapist. And that's what eventually I got into pelvic floor PT myself through my own journey there. And we had tried a lot of things and I just in the back of my mind felt like something was off with my hips. And we had seen a physician 
to get a second opinion. And I had verbalized that. I think something's off with my hips. I think it's related to this pelvic pain. And she told me that I just, it wasn't, nothing was wrong with my hips. I just needed to go on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And that would clear it up. And I strongly disagreed <laughs> with that and got a second opinion. And it was actually a, an orthopedic surgeon in Dallas, Texas, that was the first person to do a false profile x-ray view and told me, you have hip dysplasia and labral tears and impingement, and you actually need to get a paracetabular osteotomy. And I had never heard of that. I had always been taught in physical therapy school that hip dysplasia was a pediatric condition. I didn't know that there was such thing as adult hip dysplasia. I'd never heard of periacetabular osteotomies. I thought that's a lot of Latin for a very small <laughs> area of the body. And I knew enough in my background of, oh, to break the bone around the joint and looked up what that meant and thought, this is the mother of all hip surgeries. Are, are we sure that this is what I need to do at this point? And ended up doing periacetabular osteotomies. We did the left one first in April of 2014. And then we did the right one, a right PAO in December of 2014. We did bilateral hardware removal in June of 2015. And I was still struggling a little bit, still having a little bit of pain and thought, we thought maybe it's the hardware and we took that out. I continued my rehab and my physical therapy and decided to get another opinion in 2016, kind of a year after all of those surgeries. And we had found that the labrum had retorn. I still had some impingement issues. And I should point out the type of dysplasia that I had was very rare. It was a lack of anterior coverage at the front of the joint. That happens in about 5% of the cases. Typically it's lack of lateral coverage on the side. So I had some really fun kind of interesting unicorn hips going on with all of this too. And I think that's why we decided to dive a little bit deeper. So I had bilateral scopes specializing, working with a surgeon who specializes in microstability of the hips. And we did the right hip in December of 2016. We did the left hip in December of 2017. And I was good for about three or four years. And right before the pandemic hit <laughs> in March of 2020, I woke up one morning and my right hip just gave out on me. I felt it kind of collapsed. I had a lot of pain and I thought, oh no, this feels like when my labrums had retorn. And we did uh, bilateral scopes again. So I had scopes November of 2020 and then again in February of 2021. So I am seven weeks post-op, <laughs> the left hip right now. And it's been a bit of a journey, but I feel like each time we're kind of getting to the underlying root cause, we're peeling back that layer of an onion. And as so many of us know, this journey truly is a journey <laughs> that we're going through. Blimey. I mean, that's, that's a lot of surgeries. That's a lot of gearing yourself up for the next procedure to be the thing that gets it better. And then to realize that it hasn't given you the relief that you've been desiring so badly so I mean there's so it going back into the hunger games right wow yeah so if you haven't seen the hunger games please go and watch them and then listen to this conversation again because that makes so much sense but 
I can't I can't imagine how that feels. So I've only had one surgery my myself. Oh, well, plus the removal of the hardware, right? So so two. Um, but I I don't know how that feels to have gone through the procedures to feel like it's going to be the answer, and then to not have that relief. So is it possible to share how that feels? I don't know if it's easy to put that into the words or not. Mm, sure, I will definitely give it a try. <laughs> I think at first, because you do, we have these expectations that we're going to go through this big surgery and then everything is going to be great on the other side. And we believe that. And then to feel what it feels like to re-tear, not just once, but having that tear three times. And in essence, it's, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the gift of this journey and of hip dysplasia is I got to understand my body really well and understand the feedback that it was giving me and knowing what that felt like. And at first it is, it's very scary. And initially after the PAOs, my surgeon was kind of had this idea of, well, I fixed you. I don't know why you're still hurting we can do exploratory surgery. And that sounded like a terrible idea to me. So I would just tell people, trust your intuition, trust your inner wisdom. And if you don't have peace about something, don't do it. And I didn't have peace about an exploratory surgery and getting a second or third opinion can change everything for you. And just getting more imaging done and realizing, okay, the labrums have torn again okay, the impingement is back. It was very validating because the information my body was telling me was, hey, something is still not quite right. And it is scary to think about doing it all again. There's a, (laughs) ignorance is bliss. It just keeps coming to my mind when you don't quite know what you're getting into, but when you're going back in for a second time or a third time, you know what you're going back into. And there's a little bit of commitment and you... So much of this, I believe, is mindset and looking at the thoughts. I will be honest with you when 2020 hit and I woke up and my leg gave out on me and I felt that pain and I started walking with a limp again. I thought, oh, and I went into that freak out mode, right? Oh gosh, not again. We can't do this again. Ah. And I really had to, one, honor the feelings and just sit with it of feeling all the things, which is heavy stuff, right? Oh, disappointment, frustration, sitting with the pain. Uh, So much of this is an emotional journey. I feel like you can't separate the mind-body from that. And then realizing, okay, finding your grit, finding your strength, knowing that you've done this once, that you can do this again, and doing everything conservatively in my power that we could, PRP and physical therapy and rehab, starting that and then going, I've got this and realizing that you have your own back partnering with an excellent surgeon. I found the best of the best that I could here in the States. Um, and he's amazing and committing to the process and not putting expectations on my healing around that, that I was going to be all in for me and that I've got my own back and I'm going to partner with my body through this, but it is a roller coaster ride of emotions, and you really have to monitor your thoughts in this in this process because your thoughts can be 
your best advocate or they can be kind of, they can put you into kind of a tailspin. And I will be the first to tell you the third time I really went to that dark place at first. It was like, oh, and the pandemic was just hitting. And so I think we have to show ourselves a lot of grace that there was just so many factors there. Um, but also realizing this is your health and, and you can do this. And by releasing the expectations around it and trusting the process and trusting your body and your intuition. And I think we all reach that place, right? Where the pain is worse than jumping into the unknown of a surgery or your body almost lets you know when you're ready to do that and to commit because it's a little bit of a jumping off point. It's like the cliff is down there. There's no going back. <laughs> we're going to commit and we're going to jump into this. And I have no regrets because I feel like with each surgery, it got me one close, one step closer to my healing. And my right hip is already tremendously better. There's such gratitude in that. And it's kind of amazing to witness the healing and the miracles that happen when you're the patient healing, where each day you get to do one thing that you couldn't do the day before. And you get to see your body healing and kind of be a part of that. That's pretty cool too. That's absolutely incredible. There's, there's so many questions that I want to ask you from that video you've just talked about. And um, so I'll I'll go with the first thing that I that I wrote down about that last little section is that you said that when you get that news that you're going to need another stage of this journey, where you're going to need another procedure or another something to happen that you just have to let yourself sit with those feelings. You've got to feel all the feels and give yourself the grace and the time to let yourself feel it. Now, for some people that might be like, yeah, of course, I just need to sit and acknowledge the feelings. But if that's not something that you're used to doing and you don't have that awareness with yourself to even know that you need to do that, and someone's just listened to this and heard, just sit with that self and feel all the feelings. What does that mean from a practical point of view to you who's been through it, you know, a few times now? What does that mean allowing yourself to do? Mm, that means not pushing it away. Because I think we can go very quickly into the head and start writing out the list and go, okay, I need to do this, 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 this. And sitting with your feelings is uncomfortable. And it's sitting with the discomfort. And it's for me, I don't know why it always happens on the bathroom floor or in the bathtub. There's something about the bathroom that I can just lose on my chisel, right? And letting those guards down and feeling it and feeling the despair and the frustration and physically getting it out. I think what we resist persists. And if we push it off and we put on a strong face and we just try to kind of warrior on, but we're not accepting our humanity in this process, that's where things can kind of bubble up. And it really means to be a mess on the bathroom floor and just honor that this is challenging and it's hard and it's not the way that I thought things were going to go. And even letting go of the expectations around that. And so many times we don't want to go into that place because we think we'll never get out. We think we'll be sitting in that despair forever but the opposite is actually true. And I think you almost build self-trust when you can go into those feelings 
and sit in that place and realize, wow, I can sit with that heaviness and it's not going to break me. And I can actually rise up stronger like that Phoenix from the ashes. But if we try to muscle through and not really acknowledge those feelings and that place that we're in, that gets heavy later. Yeah. And Sorry, yeah. I was just gonna say no. it's so easy to just try and distract yourself and throw yourself into other activities or, you know, like you said, being exceptionally practical about it and just right, okay, I've heard this news, this is what I need to do about it. And like I said, it's very, very easy to just gloss over those feelings. And actually the more you push them down and down and down and don't acknowledge them, the more they're gonna come out in potentially these other ways that are even less ideal than sitting on the bathroom floor for a couple of hours in despair. You know, They might come out in other physical health problems because you're storing this stress and in a turmoil. So I think it's that's- It's really like grief. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a grief to the way that your life was before because things are changing. And, and I kind of went through all those, right? Denial, <laughs> the bargaining, <laughs> all of those stages of grief. And then you get to that acceptance. And I've, I truly believe that you get to that state of acceptance and that's the healing and that's the moving forward when you allow your body to feel the feels and move through that, the dark night of the soul, so to speak, Absolutely. to have that moment. So if you, if you acknowledge those feelings, you let yourself be a mess on the bathroom floor or whatever, wherever it is that you feel happy enough to just let yourself truly be authentic to your thoughts and feelings in that moment without covering them up, actually the sooner you're gonna reach that state of acceptance where you can then do something really and truly productive about it moving forwards in terms of how you're thinking and feeling about it rather than just the practical side of how do I you know physically get through this day to day so thank you so much for digging in a little bit deeper on that I know it's um, a little bit difficult for some people to to think about let alone acknowledge and do so thank you so much for the guidance on that um, it's my pleasure so the next thing um that I wrote down from when you were talking about this is that to let go of your expectation of healing. Now, this is something that I know that personally I would really struggle with being a physio, being somebody who understands the healing process, the stages of healing, what time frame should happen when you do certain amounts of certain types of movement and exercise. I know that's something that I would really struggle with. And I know with you being a doctor of physical therapy, then you have that same level of knowledge. So how would you advise somebody to let go of that expectation of healing both as a patient that doesn't have you know the, the the i suppose the level of understanding you could call it of the anatomy of the physical body to somebody then that does have that you know anatomical knowledge so would you mind just talking about that a little bit sure and it, it is kind of funny because I feel like there's two versions of me. There's the patient version, and then there's that PT version. And they have to, they have conversations kind of back and forth. <laughs> but not having expectations of healing means that we're not comparing our healing journey to anybody else's. And that can get really tempting when you go on Facebook groups and in this age of technology and, and watching other people or even one hip to the other, that we are unique. We have our own experience with this. Our body is healing in its own time. We're all going through 
different processes there. And I think when we get into trouble is when we have this expectation that healing is going to look this way, or I should be at this point at this time, when in reality, your body is doing incredible miracle healing work right now. <laughs> and it's not up to us to push it or get frustrated or, or go into those moments. But when we can show ourselves grace and not rush the process and truly become one with our body and ally a friend and be like, okay, what do you need right now? Like, what do you need some ice? Do you need to rest? Do we need to get up and ride the bike? Like, where are we in this process? And just kind of be in for the healing instead of trying to rush the process, which can feel really heavy and stressful. And as a physical therapist, it's kind of tricky because the patient in me can sometimes want to be further along. And I experienced this, especially with trying to get off the walker and the crutches. I just wanted to be free and I could walk without them, but I had a really nice little limp, little Trendelenburg going on. We don't <laughs> want to create bad habits with that. And I was just, I wanted my independence back, right? I just wanted to be able to carry a drink from one room to the other room. <laughs> These little things that we take for granted. Right. And, and the PT in me is like, but we don't want to have bad habits, Laura. And we we're not quite there yet with the strength that's coming, but let's still use these things. And so I think there's this theme that I'm learning as, as a patient of loving what is. And I really had to sit with, how can I love what is right now? How can I love walking with my walker? what could I do to make this process more fun? And I had a little portable essential oil diffuser and I put it on my walker so that I could smell oils. And you that made it more fun. You actually and I just, I had like a little cup holder on the tray and I just stuck it in there and I could smell it. And, and then I was like, okay, I enjoy this more. And then I started thinking about what can I do with a walker? What's the benefits of that? Like, hey, I can put all of my folded laundry on my walker tray and roll it to the bedroom. I can use this as functional things. It's not just all heavy. And, and there's a lot of that in that process. And that would probably be my biggest thing to share is that if you can love what is and know that you still can choose happiness despite pain, despite challenges, despite wherever you are. And if you can look at things, I think this is an Eckhart Tolle quote of, if you look at the situation that you're in as if you would have chose it, as if you would have picked it up out of the pile of cards that life could dealt us and, and honor it in that way, you will think about it differently. And it's a mindset shift. And I truly believe that this is 80% mindset um, because your thoughts and all that are going to affect the body. And yes, we do need to do our rehab and our physical therapy and those things, but it's often our thoughts that are driving our feelings that are driving the actions that we do that are driving the results. So where the mind goes, the body follows. And I feel like that's, this is just as much a mental game. And I would even argue more than a physical going through this journey. I, I am inclined to agree with you. You know, I've obviously done and had the privilege of having these conversations with 
quite a few people now are on the third series of the podcast, which is absolutely incredible. But the, the things that people talk about and struggle with the most are, you know, the social side of it, the emotional side of it, the, the battle with the, the chronic pain. And like you were talking about, it's, it's how you can approach that. And sometimes it can be exceptionally difficult to think about anything other than the doom and the gloom and all the bad things that are happening because it can weigh so heavily. But this is why I feel like conversations like this are so important because it gives somebody a different outlook to the way that they're currently potentially feeling. And this, again, somebody might listen to this conversation and go, oh my God, that's a breath of fresh air. I hadn't even thought about looking at it like that or feeling about it like that, or even just taking the time to sit on the bathroom floor and cry, you know? So really listening to our bodies is something that I think that has been really lost as technology has developed. This is kind of a bit of a, bit of a big thinker point for me in that I don't feel we really listen to what our bodies need so much anymore like there's so many apps that tell us what we need or distractions that allow us to never really just be alone with our thoughts or our bodies without some level of distraction so no distraction being told what to do by apps and fitbits and health monitors everywhere you're always being told what your body needs and being distracted from any version of thinking about what it might need yourself let alone even having the thought to even acknowledge that that might be something that you should or want to do. So you mentioned this about like really thinking about relying on what your body is telling you that it needs. And that sounds really tricky to do, but actually just sitting alone without your phone, without music on, without the radio, the TV, anything on in the background is something that can be so, so powerful. What do you think about that? Mm, I 100% agree. I feel like it's one of the greatest gifts that going through health challenges has taught me is how to listen to and honor my body because that's how it communicates with us. It's just information. And if you look at the pain as not good or bad, but just information, then it takes some of the fear away from it. And you can start to ask questions, get curious. I would say, get curious with the pain sit with it, ask questions around it. Because what breaks my heart is I feel so many people say, well, my body betrayed me. My hips betrayed me. And that's a thought. Another thought is, wow, my hips totally love me. They're giving me information. (laughs) They're letting me know that something's off. So I'm going to sit with that and honor that. And yes, so much of the healing work is in the quiet. It's getting to know yourself again. And it starts with just noticing those simple things, like just taking a little body scan in the quiet and going, how am I feeling? Am I holding tension in my shoulders, in my neck, in my pelvis, in my hips? Okay. You know, there were some days post-op that I got a little bit concerned. My hips were talking to me more. And I like to use that word talking to me versus like flares or pain because those can create emotions around them, right? I'm like, oh, you're talking to me more. Actually, by the way, named my hips, which is kind of fun. So I have Diana, she's the right hip. Delilah is the left hip. (laughs) And it just helps me to tune into them more, right? And I'm like, okay, Delilah, I see you, girl. I feel you. You're talking to me right now. What do you need? And I'm like, hmm. And then I realized, oh, I went to physical therapy and I stood up and cooked dinner and I walked around with my nephew 
yeah, no wonder you're talking to me, girl. Okay, you're, you need some rest. Let's, let's lay down. Let's do some ice. Let's do some self-care stuff. Let's put some oils on. Let's do some things to help you feel better. And that's a very different place than, oh my gosh, it's hurting. What did I do? And I'm not getting better than that. And then like spiraling into that place <laughs> and remembering that the body heals in a calm <laughs> place. When we're in fight or flight and pumping out stress hormones, like cortisol all the time, that's a heavy place. That's a challenging place for the body to heal. So when we can come back to that calm and quiet and just sit with it and taking those little scans. And I do that with my body all the time. Like just noticing those normal cues. Am I thirsty? Oh yeah. Let me go and get a glass of water. Do I need to go to the bathroom? Okay. Let me just go. To the... It's, it's so fascinating to me how we suppress those natural urges like thirst or hunger or needing to go to the bathroom. And when you start to tune into those, you work in partnership with your body. And I truly feel like tuning in to your own intuition, your own inner wisdom, that's the guiding light to healing. And it's a skill like anything else, but the more that you practice it, like building up muscle strength, it's going to get stronger. And it's a, a beautiful gift that can come through going through this process. Yeah. I mean, there are so many times that I've just sat and watched my dogs, right? So this does have a point and it, it is relevant. <laughs> it sounds like we're going off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, so I will sit and watch my dogs, just sit quietly, watch them, and they will be sleeping, but they'll change position and they'll just wiggle around and then they'll get up off of the sofa and they'll stretch. And then they'll go and get a drink because they're thirsty. And then they'll go and change position again and do whatever they want to do. But I'm just thinking like they don't necessarily have the same kind of conscious thought stream that we do. So they don't have the ability to be influenced by, you know, the society or culture or, you know, all these other things around us like social media. They don't give a damn about social media. Um, but they have time to just listen and feel what their body needs and they respond to those internal signals. When they're thirsty, they get a drink. When they're stiff, they need to stretch, and they do. And I've often just almost felt envious about that because they don't have the same level of distraction and all these things around them that take them away from noticing and reacting to what their body needs. Mm. So I don't know if that's like a crazy analogy to, to bring it back to, but that's how I feel when I watch my dogs or anything in nature they're not responding to the societal demands around us. So um, yes, they're not in a rush. <laughs> well, they, they are if they hear the food bag, I tell you that. <laughs> okay, this is true. <laughs> cool. Even in nature, it blooms, uh, you know, you can't shout a flower into blooming. It's a process. There's, there's an allowing and there's a bit of uh, co-creation kind of going on and holding space for it. And if you can, if you can do that, if you can kind of play with your healing journey a little bit and show yourself a ton of grace, I feel like not only will you ironically heal faster, <laughs> but you'll enjoy the process more. I know that almost sounds ironic. You're like, Laura, enjoy the process. Surgery hurts, but you can still find the fun and joy even in the discomfort. And I would almost argue that so many of the times in life when we are growing or going through major changes, there is discomfort and almost getting better at sitting with the discomfort, inviting the discomfort in and holding space for it and not judging it. 
had to kind of look at that too in my healing journey, not judging that it was bad. Uh, and I, I had to do a lot of work around that of my thoughts of like going into a third hip surgery. What if it's not bad or good? What if it just is? What if it's just part of my path of healing? And that creates different thoughts. Yeah. I, it's it's so powerful, all this stuff that you're talking about. And I just think it's it's absolutely incredible to listen to. And I'm always forgetting that I'm doing this podcast with you because I'm just so engrossed in what you're saying. I'm just like absorbing everything that, that I'm hearing from you and thinking about how not just with my personal hip journey but how this stuff applies to so many other areas in life you know it's not even just about your pain or your hip journey actually being able to recognize these thoughts and feelings giving yourself the grace learning how much growth can come from discomfort in other emotional areas of your life not just the chronic pain and how that can help us develop and grow as people to enjoy our lives more right that this has so many applications that it can it can be relevant to so thank you um the next area that i wanted to approach with you is something that you mentioned um quite a lot earlier and that's talking about pelvic health physio yes. now a lot of people will not necessarily know the difference between what pelvic physio is and hip physio and what the separations really are so i think sometimes those terms are used interchangeably um so would you mind just talking about a little bit what pelvic health physio is because that's where your journey started with trying to have a look and feel about your hips and then when you realized that something was a bit different the difference between the two yes absolutely and i would say it'd be good to do a visual so I have Bertha is up here. Let me grab Bertha because she'll be a good example. And uh, I've got, a, of course, I've got hips. I've got all kinds of props here. So <laughs> when we're talking about pelvic health and pelvic floor physical therapy, it's a much different training than what a traditional physical therapist has. We're not taught a ton about this in school. It's a specialty training that you go to continuing education and courses to get certified in, in doing. But the pelvic floor are the muscles that attach to the pelvis, to the sacrum, that kind of triangle bone um, in the back, to the tailbone, the coccyx here. And they work almost like a little hammock to hold up and support our organs. <laughs> so this is an intricate network and it looks like a little bowl. So we have superficial muscles, and then we have deeper muscles of the pelvic floor. And what's interesting is some of the muscles of the pelvic floor, well, a lot of them attach to the pelvis, to the sacrum, to the coccyx, the tailbone, something fell. <laughs> Real life. And they also attach to the hip, to and help with external rotation and assist with that. And I personally believe that, right, it's one body, it's all connected and it's an intricate system here. And what was interesting for me and research has now come out and shown this, that if you have somebody who is having pelvic pain and that could look like painful periods, pain with intercourse, pain with pelvic exams, maybe even leakage of urine, you have a little bit of bladder leakage, you're struggling with pelvic pain and it's not going away, 
and we've done traditional pelvic floor PT, that it's worth getting a screening done of your hips because it could be an underlying hip pathology like a labral tear or impingement or dysplasia. They go hand in hand and vice versa. I would say that if you've had surgery on your pelvis and on your hips, it would be a good idea if after surgery, you feel like you can't completely empty your bladder or you're leaking urine or you are having sex and it's painful or pain with wearing tampons or periods or anything, it would be worth getting an evaluation done by a pelvic floor PT because these muscles, just like muscles in our neck or in our shoulder can go into spasm and tighten up and can get knots in them, the same things can happen to the pelvic floor. And a pelvic floor PT can do an internal exam, either vaginally or rectally. Yes, men have pelvic floors too, and we check it rectally. Um, but to check those muscles to see what's going on, because so oftentimes, and I would say specifically ask your doctor for this, because this is my own soapbox, but many times if women are leaking urine or they're struggling, they're just told to do Kegel exercises. And if you try to strengthen a spasmed muscle, it can make the spasm worse. And so women that are going in and struggling, and then they're doing all these Kegel exercises, one, they might not be doing them properly, which is why we want to work with a pelvic floor PT to check and assess. But two, it could be making the pelvic pain issues worse, the urinary leakage worse, all of that. So this is why I think they kind of go hand in hand. And yes, so many times, right, with hip patients, we're like, strengthen the glutes, strengthen the rotator, strengthen your core. But the pelvic floor actually works synergistically with, we've got the pelvic floor on the bottom, we've got the diaphragm on the top, we've got the transverse abdominis and the core in the front, and then the back extensors. And all four of these areas work synergistically. And so it's my personal view that it would be really good to find a pelvic floor PT in your corner to get an assessment and look into things and that pelvic pain could be a symptom of an underlying hip pathology and an underlying hip pathology could be creating issues with your pelvic floor. So it's good to, to look at all of those. And uh, Herman and Wallace is a, it, that's the institute that I did my pelvic floor training with. And I believe their website is pelvicrehab.com and they have a provider and you can find a pelvic floor PT in your area, you can find a practitioner near you to get an assessment. And again, not all OBGYNs or orthopedic doctors or people are up and up on pelvic floor PT. So ask about that and find one near you and get an assessment. It's not going to hurt. And I actually think it would be a huge part of your recovery to get everything assessed and working together to stabilize your pelvis and your hips. That's amazing. And there's so much that you just said that I had no idea about. So, I mean, every, I mean, every physio has their own area of specialty and expertise. And yeah, there was so much that you just talked about that I had no idea about. So I don't know if this sounds like a silly question, but you've talked about, you know, you don't want to just strengthen a potentially spasmed muscle. So if you've got a byproduct of hip surgery or vice versa, whichever way around it is, and you have a pelvic floor that is potentially too tight or too spasmed and doesn't know how to relax. What would a pelvic 
PT do to release that? Like, are there manual techniques that you can go in? You obviously described like an internal exam that you can do. Are there things that people can do themselves to help release that tension? Or is that something that you guys do to give that relief manually? What's, what's the sort of process? Both. Yeah, both, both are really key. So when you first work with the PT, they can actually do biofeedback where we put these little stickies kind of on, on either side to just assess the pelvic floor. And we can tell if it's chronically tightened. Some people are like squeezing their butt all the time and their pelvic floor is constantly activated. Or similarly to if you have a, a patient come in and they're having neck pain and they walk in like this and they're like, I don't know why my neck hurts all the time. And we're like, oh, like let's relax. <laughs> we can be doing that with the muscles of the pelvic floor. They are voluntary muscles. We can tell them to contract and relax, but we may just be chronically tightening them. Plus the pelvic floor, it's a protective space, right? Like it's, it's controlling our bowel and bladder functions, but when we don't feel safe, we tighten the pelvic floor. We close off the vaginal opening, the anal opening, everything kind of whoop, tightens up and closes. So sometimes they'll do biofeedback to just kind of see, are we able to contract the muscle and fully relax the muscle? But I will tell you this, this little secret, you don't want to work with a pelvic floor PT who only does biofeedback and they do no internal exam. That's not true pelvic floor PT, by the way. So you want to get with somebody who's actually going to do manual therapy and they'll go in through the vaginal opening and they can basically kind of feel and check these muscles and kind of go, okay, it's a little tight here. And it's interesting when you're palpating muscles of the pelvic floor, cause you'll feel that tightness. And usually the patient, I can kind of be like, oh, they'll be like, yeah, that's tight. I'll get feedback on that. And you can apply a little bit of pressure and hold for 60 to 90 seconds. And you will actually feel that muscle soften just like you would if you're, if you have like a tight spot on your arm, you'll feel it kind of soften. And then you'll feel blood flow come back into the muscles and start to feel a little bit of a pulse, like as it starts to relax. So it's helpful to have somebody else check those because an OB-GYN doesn't, they bypass the muscles. <laughs> They're checking your organs. They're making sure that everything is good there. But physical therapists come in as the musculoskeletal people. So we can kind of check those muscles and go, okay. And then we can teach you, there are things, there's a crystal wand, there's different things that you can do and learn to release those muscles internally on yourself as well as externally, there's things that you can do. So work with that pelvic floor PT because they can do an assessment. They can do an external exam of the pelvic floor as well as internal and help you with a home exercise program to where you can start releasing those muscles as well. Because just like we get tight spots, right? Maybe our hip flexors tight or we get tight adductors or something and all of that attaches, right? To the pelvis, <laughs> like it all comes back here, this is kind of home base, um, pelvis and hips and core. So work with your pelvic floor PT. They're going to be a great, great resource. And that, and the whole goal is to help you be independent, but they can kind of support you and then get you on a program so that you can release those muscles on your own. And it's almost just bringing awareness of like, Oh, I think I'm tightening up, you know, just like with the shoulder issues or the neck, it's like, oh, how can I, or I'm just noticing a little bit of tension there as we talk about listening to your intuition in your body and taking some deep breaths into the pelvic floor and allowing that to relax. Wow. 
<laughs> that is an absolute mic drop moment for me. So thank you so, so much for educating me a little bit on this topic. I am so keen to know a little bit more. So I'm definitely going to pick your brains a little bit after this conversation, I think. Um, sure. so thank you. Any excuse to bring Bertha out. I love to... Love to talk about the pelvic floor. Talk a lot about that pee, poop, pelvic floor, all of, all of the things. I love it. <laughs> Even the models that you've got in your house. Yes. And this is so funny too, because this was actually a 3D CT scan of my pelvis um, no for way. one of my surgeries. And so I asked to keep it <laughs> because I thought, how cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about the I've props. I've never seen a 3D print. Of the scan before like the actual print of it afterwards I've never seen that that's absolutely incredible yeah so ask them if they do 3d uh printer of your pelvis before surgery ask to keep it because I'm sure they just throw it away <laughs> you can put it in your office <laughs> on display <laughs> I think a lot of us display like the screws and stuff that come out all the hardware that comes out we're kind of I've seen a lot of people that have created like pictures and um real sort of artistic displays using some of the hardware so uh, I'm sure people would be very keen to display their hips up somewhere as well now the last topic that I really wanted to come back to today is something that I know you have such a passion about and I'm really keen to know more so you are an essential oils expert it's something that you're doing a lot of work in right now and I mean I can't even begin to imagine the list of benefits that are there from the essential oils but keeping it a little bit more hip-centered I know that there's some really amazing stuff that you know about scar management with your essential oils and well-being and calm and state of mind so um let's just open that kettle of worms and just say what can you tell us about essential oils and what can be useful for the hips yes uh, I love talking about essential oils because I feel like it truly is plant medicine it is something that we can use to help us in a lot of different ways so to break it down keep it super simple essential oils are truly from plants they're from trees and flowers and stems and bark, different parts of the plants that are distilled. And just like with plants that the essential oil, that little oil sack, or if you peel an orange, that residue that gets left on your hands, that's the essential oil. And that's protective, especially for plants in different environments from other bugs or insects. And it has protective benefits for our body too. And we can use them aromatically. See, I have like a diffuser that goes on and off here in the background. Aromatically is gonna help with respiratory support, emotional support, and just cleansing and purifying for the air. We know that synthetic fragrances are really harmful for our body. They're kind of the secondhand smoke is, is the equivalent. So the, the plugins and the sprays and the things that we use that really just mask odor, not covered up, could be contributing to headaches, respiratory issues, or hormonal imbalances. So much of what I have learned about healing is coming back to nature and coming back to the basics with things. So oils are a great way to just make your house smell amazing and truly get rid of the odor without synthetic things in your home. So it's a great way to reduce toxic load. You can apply them topically. So for a hip patient, because we all know that going into a periacetabular osteotomy, right, is no big deal, right? We're super calm and feeling great. Mm -hmm. So it's not stressful at all. So we can use oils aromatically, topically. We can put them on. I like to put them on like perfume. 
So behind the ears, over the wrists, over the heart. And I will often just do a nice little palm inhale where I'll grab an oil, rub it together, and just take a couple slow deep breaths. Or you can just easy button, inhale it from the bottle. What this does when we, that sense of smell, when we breathe in through our nose, it goes in through the olfactory nerve into our limbic system in our brain, which houses memories, moods, and emotions, which is why we can smell something. Maybe you smell something and you're reminded of your grandmother baking, or it works the other way. Maybe you walk into a hospital and you're triggered of other memories that are unpleasant. So that sense of smell has a direct link into the central nervous system. The only other thing that does this is music. So I like to combine both. Whatever your favorite music is, hey, if you like 80s music, if you like pop music, whatever it is, I like to diffuse the oils, put them on, rub them on, inhale. If I have any extra, I'll put it in my hair so I can be a little walking diffuser. And that sense of smell can help to kind of turn down the volume of pain. There's even some really fascinating research, lots of research on essential oils, but lavender, just inhaling lavender help to decrease pain in post-operative patients. Increasing and inhaling wild orange oil or the citrus oils help to decrease anxious feelings in patients. Why are we not using this? It's safe, it's non-habit forming, it's a tool. Do I feel like essential oils are a magic bullet? No, but I don't think anything is a magic bullet. But I feel like it's a tool that we can use to help with anxious feelings and stress, and even post-op help with your sleep, help to decrease discomfort and pain post-op, help with digestive issues. That first poop after surgery, I feel like if you can survive your first post-op poop, you can survive anything in life, right? Like that's a doozy. You can use essential oils and apply them topically over the abdomen to help with constipation, to help with post-op nausea and vomiting. I'll do peppermint, or there's a blend called Digestin, and I really struggled with post-op nausea and vomiting and could just inhale it, put a little bit on my tummy and not toss my cookies. And that was a game changer for me. So something safe and effective that you can use, why are we not using it? And then the big thing with a pure tested grade oil is things like lavender, peppermint, or lemon, things that you recognize as food should be safe to take internally. And so brands really matter with this. I, full disclosure, I use and sell doTERRA essential oils, but about 98% of the oils on the market are adulterated. They're synthetic fragrance. They're not really a pure and tested oil. So do your research on that. Or if you have questions, reach out and let me know. But you can take something like a drop of peppermint in your water and it can help to calm down that nausea or if you're feeling upset to your stomach or even to help with getting your digestive system moving after surgery. Those are huge things that can be used. So we've got aromatic, topical, and internal. And then we talk a lot about oils for scars. So I really love, and there's several. Lavender is amazing. Frankincense is amazing. I have a blend that is 15 drops and we put it in a 10 ml roller bottle. So a roller bottle about this size. And I do 15 drops of yarrow palm, 10 drops of sandalwood, 10 drops of heliochrysum, 10 drops of myrrh, 10 drops of copaiba, and 10 drops of frankincense. And then we just top with 
a carrier oil. My favorite carrier oil is fractionated coconut oil because it doesn't have a strong scent. It doesn't stain your clothes, but a carrier oil does what it sounds like. It carries that essential oil transdermally through the skin, helps to kind of get that into your body, which is another important reason why you want to be using a pure tested oil because what you're putting on your skin, what you're taking internally, we want to make sure that that is pure and that is safe. And so we don't put essential oils on the scar until it's completely closed. You can put it around. You can actually use oils to help with bruising, to help with swelling, which happens a lot after major hip surgeries. And then once that incision site is closed, you can apply it over the incision site. And I start just very gentle, like little circles around. I don't get real aggressive with scar tissue massage until four to six weeks, usually about six weeks. I'm now seven weeks. And so I'm like, yeah, let's get to it. Um, but it's just gentle. And at first, honestly, it's just looking at your scars, connecting that. Some people have a really hard time just being able to connect to that, desensitizing the scar, whether that's a, a little washcloth that you can just kind of gently start to rub around the area or waiting for it to heal. And then about that four to six week mark, work with your physical therapist. Once that's closed, you'll start to go side to side, up and down. You can do circles clockwise, circles counterclockwise, and then even just kind of pull and stretch the tissue in different areas because you want that scar tissue. I love working on scars because when you break up the scar tissue, it doesn't come back. So you want that to be soft and just like any other area of the body and move around and you don't want to feel adhesions or things sticking. This is uncomfortable initially, but it does get much better. And so I would say take five to 10 minutes a day minimum, put on a good song, you know, roll on your oils over the scar and then start to really work that scar tissue and move it in different directions. And it will make such a difference. It's going to help to break up adhesions. It's going to help with pain. Uh, it's going to help with the appearance of the scar and to reduce that. And just like anything, like using your essential oils, just like diet or lifestyle or anything else, they work when you use them. You actually have to open up the bottle and get them out and use them with consistency, just like you wouldn't expect to take a medication once and, and that it works. So I like to do a little bit of habit stacking and put those where you're going to see them. I keep my scar blend in my bathroom so that after I go to the bathroom and I wash my hands, it's right there. I can apply it to my hip, apply it to my scar and do a little bit of scar tissue work. Um, so if you can link it in or put it by your toothbrush wherever you're gonna see it, you're gonna be more likely to use that um, and start to work on it. But I don't think a lot of people talk about scars a lot and the importance of working through those or they put that responsibility on their physical therapist. And really, you're only seeing them, what, two or three times a week. You're the ones, right? It's, it's kind of like being diligent with our exercise and rehab protocol. We can do, we can see them for what, two or three hours a week. But the rest of the time, we need to be doing that stuff too. So taking ownership for your, the people that heal are the ones I find that take radical responsibility for their health and wellness. And that's their exercise protocol. That's using the oils. That's working on their scars. And I would even say dietary and lifestyle changes, um, cleaning up your diet, drinking enough water, giving your body the right foundations and tools to heal and sleep 
essential for healing, especially post-op. You know, are, is your digestive system moving and functioning better? And the essential oils are tools that can help with that. The stress, the overwhelm, the sleep, the scars, the digestive support, even boosting your immune system both before and after uh, going into the hospital, helping with that healthy inflammatory response. It's a tool that has been a game changer for me in a lot of ways, because honestly, I just personally couldn't tolerate a lot of the medications and side effects and was tired of taking all the pills. So when I was taught, oh, you mean I can just roll this oil on my tummy? I don't have to take another pill. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> so if, if anybody has questions about that, reach out and I'd be happy to help. But it's, it's something that can really help around all the feels and supporting your body physically, both before, during, and after surgery. Thank you so much. And again, there's so, so many different uses that you've described there just from the natural oils. And there are, there are things that my, my physio scientific brain is going, well, okay, well, how does that, how does that change congestion and that digestion by applying it topically? And what are the, what are the pathways that these oils are taking to make those changes physically in the body? But I really love the, the fact that you are somebody who really does your research. You really understand what you're doing. You learn it in depth. This isn't just something that you've found that you just think, oh, that sounds like a lovely idea. Like you do take the time to really research and understand what it is that you're doing. And yeah, I love so many of the approaches that you take. And I think one of the most common questions I'm going to get after this is somebody saying, do you sell your scar blend? <laughs> I buy it from um and yeah whether they whether there is access to that so I know you're um in the states is that something that you can ship out or is that something that's just local to where you are I absolutely can ship that out what I do is I empower people to get their own oils and teach them exactly how to make that and the recipe it's not a secret it's on my Instagram it's on my blog so you can go and, and grab that but doTERRA is an international company and I have oilers, people in our oils community all over the world, in the UK, in South Africa, in Australia, in everywhere, in Europe, as well as the United States and Canada. And so if this is something that you're kind of feeling that tug, right? Listening to your intuition and going, okay, I'm kind of curious about this. Um, what I love to do, because I, I definitely could do that, but I feel like, right, give, give a person a fish and you'll feed them for a day, teach a person to fish and you'll feed them for a lifetime. That's how I feel about the oils is I want to empower people to know how to use the oil safely, to be able to make a blend. Cause we can make a scar blend, but what happens if you feel under the weather? What happens if your kiddo is, is sick with a stomach bug or if you need a little bit of immune support? So I really come in to educate cause I do, I love the science. I love the research and I want people to use them safely making little swaps, whether that's reducing your toxic load or whatever that is. So I walk people through exactly how to make them. And then we have a VIP private Facebook community that people can ask questions and get support. And we teach continuing education classes on different topics like women's health and hormones or stress, sleep, and emotions, because I truly want this to make an impact. Like, yes, it can help with your scars, but what if it can help with your emotional health? Or your respiratory health or other things. And it's, it's just a tool. Again, um, I believe in 
bringing the best of both worlds, Western medicine versus like with East, it doesn't have to be all or none. It can be that combination. Um, so if anybody has questions, I will send you the recipe. If um, you don't have oils, if you're not working with somebody, because I truly believe there's a lot of people out there selling a product. There's not as many people out there that are providing one-on-one -on -one education and support. So I hop on Zoom calls or WhatsApp calls and, and just make sure that people have those tools. And then I'm there if they have questions. Because um, you can buy oils from Amazon or the mall or wherever. They're not peer-tested oils. They're, I wouldn't even call it an essential oil. It's a synthetic fragrance. But you can't call up Amazon if your kid is sick or <laughs> if something is going on. So that's where I really want is um, I'm passionate about empowering people to take back their health and giving them tools uh, through education, not just about the oils, they're a piece of that, but lifestyle and diet and movement and all of those things, because that's when I see people thrive. And it's those little steps. We don't change everything all at once. That's completely overwhelming. We choose one area, <laughs> make one step. And that can make all of the difference. So yeah, reach out. I would love to help and serve. Brilliant. Well, I will absolutely be sure to put your details on the show notes. So um, if people are looking for you, do you, what's your Instagram handle, websites, um, and areas of contact that people might be able to find you? Yes, it's Dr. Laura Ritchie. So it's D-R-L-A-U-R-A-R-I-C-C-I. -C -C and that's how you'll find me in all the places. It's drlauraritchie.com at Dr. Laura Ritchie on Instagram. You can find me by searching Dr. Laura Ritchie on Facebook. I'm on the TikTok, <laughs> Pinterest, um, YouTube. I have over, I think it's close to 700 videos now on YouTube on health and wellness and essential oil education and pelvic floor. So you could literally search on YouTube, Dr. Laura Ritchie pelvic floor or Dr. Laura Ritchie pollen season or aches and discomfort. And you're going to find lots of free education and videos there to, to help you. Thank you. Amazing. Like, I honestly feel like this podcast could have been like three separate podcasts all in one. Like we've really delved into some really amazing areas that, you know, you've really, you know, been so forthcoming in your personal experiences, but also how that is related to the work that you do and just our overall well-being and sense of empowerment and I, I feel so uplifted from hearing this conversation. I really appreciate your time coming on today to share that experience. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. We, I got to share about all my favorite things. So my, my cup is full. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week again with another inspiring and incredible guest. If you'd like to be on the podcast and come and share your story, then please just send me an email at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at laura.rutterford or by searching help for hip dysplasia and send me a message on there. I really look forward to speaking with you. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>